Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart of enterprise IT. With me this week are Zach and Mike at uh, Boys Club back in town. <laughs> so good to see both of you this time. Um, we thought we would talk about some cloud news to start with. So uh, actually, let's have some meta conversation first. As this article comes to us from Foundry, which is formerly IDG Communications. I'd completely missed that rebrand. Did either of you notice that? No. And no, is it a part of a spin-out? I don't know that IDG is gone. Is it just... Yeah. I it's just a spin-out. I was very confused by by seeing this. And uh, yeah, I mean, IDG... Very is- well, very obviously very well communicated. There you it, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Key audience. Yeah, IDG Connect is still a thing. It's still out there. They still do analysis. So this is some sort of spin out. Anyway, so they kicked off uh, their stay, at least in my awareness, with a cloud computing study 2022. So this is uh, something they've been doing every year for a little while, measuring cloud computing trends among technology decision makers, including usage, top growth areas, investments, business drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get the drift. Um, here's a number that leapt out at me, though, uh, and Mike, I'm going to want your hot take in just a moment. The percentage of companies with most or all IT infrastructure in the cloud is expected to leap from 41% today. So that already causes one eyebrow to rise. 41% of companies are most or all in the cloud, okay, to 63% uh, in the next 18 months. These seem very aggressive numbers. Does that seem realistic? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to see like, yeah, companies of all sizes. Sure. I mean, if I start, I mean, there's a lot more, there's a lot more startups and young companies than, yeah, older. Yeah, yeah that's like two MacBooks and an AWS account. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. So they have, yeah, two MacBooks and AWS account and yeah, two virtual machines on in the cloud. And then there's companies with like, uh, you know, 8,000 servers uh, who have two in the cloud. So, yeah, yeah. you know, how, how do you want to interpret those those numbers, right? I mean, it, it, yeah, the companies that are in the cloud versus companies that are not in the cloud. And, and I mean, really, I think your historical companies, they're going to go into the cloud, but I, I don't I, I don't envision where everything's in the cloud, right? I mean, but it'll be very minimal that's still on-prem, although we can call on-prem the cloud now, so I don't know. Yeah, AWS well, Outpost, is that on-prem, is yeah, that cloud, yeah. is it both? Yeah, Zach, Zach, Zach will definitely have an opinion here, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so, I mean, obviously they they weren't questioning, you know, the survey didn't go out to somebody with two MacBooks and an account in AWS, so there is some, some credence to this, and this isn't a fly-by-night, you know, survey, so we can't just say, okay, yeah, what do they quantify as companies now, you know, um, it, it, to me, it's impressive because I mean, whoever they're, I mean, look, they're to me, they're probably one of the top three or four analyst firms in technology. So I, I think this is important to to give a little bit of of, um, of thought to. So yeah, I, I think um, yeah, and you're exactly right. What is cloud? I mean, cloud is also on prem, but this is very interesting. And and do they go outside of IT? I think Mike, that's really a question for you. I mean, what's going on in the business side? I mean, are they pushing this? Who's really pushing this move to cloud? I think that's it because. I don't know that we've had that much growth among traditional IT decision makers, to be quite honest. So I, I tend to think they're being pushed in that direction. I think to some extent they are being pushed, but there's also like, there's so many factors happening in, in the world today, right? So let's just take real estate, right? 
I mean, as companies look at kind of their work model, like, hey, do we need an office? Do we not need an office? You know, I'm positive there are some IT departments getting called saying that, hey, you know, uh, we're getting rid of this lease. You have a server room here. We need it gone. What are you going to do if that happens? Do you do you really believe that companies are doing data center builds right now or server closet builds? No, they're, they're going to push that into either a co-location space potentially, or they're going to push it to the cloud. And the cloud is so much easier, especially when you're talking to your your financial folks, and here you have like an OPEX model, CAPEX. I mean, OPEX is going to win out every time. And, you know, it might not look cheaper, but I, I think if you have a lot of data, if you can convert to PaaS, if you can do it right, you probably will have some savings there, right? But again, it all depends on how your organization looks. So yeah, that real estate unlock is is not so easy for, for companies to uh, to to shy away from. So there's a bunch of factors that are pushing this and it's not just the technology decision or just, and I think people look at it from also the cost side of, oh, cloud is more expensive, but is it really, if you think of everything involved in the physical maintenance of that space? I I, I don't think so. So I I think that's also a big push, Zach. It's hard to underestimate that. Is cloud really that much easier for people? I'm just trying to push back a little because I I don't necessarily disagree, but is it easier if it's not architected right? And we still have to have the, you know, I think it's easy to yeah. say we just put this in the cloud, but there's a lot of thinking, especially in multi-cloud, how you connect it, you know, how are you communicating? There's always going to be something maybe on-prem that on-prem is probably at the edge now, not really in a centralized data center. I don't know if it's a lot easier. Yeah. I think there's also some some holes and gaps, and maybe that's what's prohibiting these numbers from being higher. Maybe these numbers would be higher if, if there were some. Hundred yeah. percent, yeah. So you said two interesting things there. So one is, I think, while the data center may shrink, the data closet may actually come back uh, for edge services. And yep. yep. I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but uh, I met someone a couple of years ago now. Uh, it was pre, or maybe it was in the early days of the pandemic. And when we were just allowed out, now I think about it. And he was building data centers in my hometown. So my hometown is 100,000 inhabitants. It's not a huge place. He was building plural data centers. He had one already finished and he was breaking ground in a second. I was like, what? Why? Who are your customers? And he said, it's Netflix. It's the content distribution networks. It's all of those things. They want local points of presence. Uh, We have enough of a center of gravity here that they're customers and they need to be within fewer hops than their current locations up in Milan or wherever. And so they're putting in brand new data centers. And so that's the sort of thing that, that will that will happen. You'll get those sorts of things. Uh, the other is the ops cost. And I think the ops calculation changes because in the early days it was about VMs and so architecting or, you know, equivalents. And architecting those gets complicated. And I think... And maybe this is just my vantage point because I'm in PaaS, SaaS land, but that seems to be where a lot of the conversation has moved. It's like we're not touching the the bare metal, we're not touching the operating system, we're operating several layers of abstraction above that. And at that point, the ops cost is uh, a lot less if someone's taking care of those layers for you, as opposed to the cloud land where it was purely, you know, how much does it cost me in watts <laughs> to keep the VM lit? Uh, versus does Amazon get a better price because they set it up in somewhere where hydro power is cheap? And I and I think you know 
combining that with Zach's point, I think ops, like let's look at ops. Ops is definitely changing. The skill set of the people in ops is outdated and it's, it's sorely outdated, including at some of the software vendors. Um, it's it's badly outdated. In other words, yeah, the best way to move to cloud is if you go to a PaaS or SaaS offering, but some people are still following the typical, like, hey, let's get a virtual machine. The layers of abstraction is what's needed, and that's where you're probably going to save and get the most benefit, but not everybody's doing that. And there are software vendors, you, you know, and I, I I've said this before, if when VM came out, a lot of vendors would say like, oh, my software doesn't run on that. Like you can't run my software in VM. And then all the ops people being the arrogant um, people they are, prove them wrong. Yeah, <laughs> prove them wrong and put the stuff on VM. And today the same is happening. Those same software vendors are saying like, my software doesn't run on cloud. Don't put it on cloud. And the cloud architects are saying that that doesn't make sense. It's running on cloud right now and proving them wrong. But those ops people, are the old server huggers who are now VM huggers. And I think it's moved up the chain and that is a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And on that note, I found it interesting that this week we heard that Puppet uh, has been bought because Puppet was, of course, uh, a key enabler of server hugging uh, because they were one of the first to to deliver automation. They arguably were one of the forces that properly kicked off uh, the world of DevOps. Uh, and they had a pretty good run of it, but uh, they've been less and less relevant because of exactly these trends that we've been talking about. And now they've been bought by Perforce, uh, which uh, yeah wasn't really high on my radar, let's say. It's a clear sign of the times. I mean, yeah. uh, ops, is, ops is kind of dead the way we've known it. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, all these, I guess it was called this whole like infrastructure as code movement is dead. I mean, it became featureized in clouds. It, it, That's interesting. So, so like Jenkins, like yeah. So, so like Jenkins and all these tools, I mean, I, I, I think their value, they, they should have sold at the peak and now they're on the decline. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Sorry about that. Oh, no, this is interesting. I mean, infrastructure as code, you hear so much about it still, but it's who do you hear this from? That, that's the thing, right? I mean, who mm. is out there? You know, pounding these drums and and look, I'm I'm an old I, I'll say the word old in quotes here, air quotes, uh, network guy, and I get it, right? But uh, nobody, it, it's a, it's just I hear it all the time from from people. Oh, infrastructure is code. I still hear it like every day. You know, Jenkins, um, Terraform, all this stuff. But I I agree with you. We had this talk recently. Cloud will commoditize almost everything. So these startups, which are really to me just features, they're not even companies that have a whole portfolio. They have a feature. Some of them have an app that whatever you, you know, however you want to look at it. Are they, I mean, the, the cloud just, they're just bringing it in and commoditizing it. They're just, they're, they're building these features in what they're doing. So yeah, maybe this is why cloud is growing too. Simplification of all this. And Dominic, I like your thoughts. You're, you're, a, you're an ops guy. In air quotes, you're an old ops guy. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'll admit it. I'll own it. Uh, no, see, what I was thinking is it, the snake is uh, is eating its own tail, as you say, but there are there is also a new creation. All of this serverless function as a service, whatever you want to call it, uh, Drive is also uh, starting to come to fruition. I, I mean, MongoDB itself, that I work for, uh, we have a pretty sizable cloud service and we don't own any of our own infrastructure we run it on the the big three clouds 
And we wouldn't dream of opening a data center. And every now and then we look at it because why wouldn't we? And every time we decide, no, why the hell would you do that? It's, uh, it's not something you would do. And our service can then itself be addressed without having to requisition it in units of one server. You just sign up for a contract that says you'll get as much as, uh, as you need and you get billed for it at the end of the cycle or whatever it is. That's the new model. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that is uh, is so abstracted, like you're not one or two hops, but you're several hops. Each of those hops is a vendor in its own right, away from anything that resembles bare metal. And that that's the the shift that that, that we are seeing. Everything is becoming much more fungible uh, in in the world of of IT and. There's a lot less ops required, or, or the ops is different. You're managing APIs, you're not managing VMs. That that's the the difference. So infrastructure as a code happened, but not perhaps in exactly the way as old server automation people thought it would. Uh, it happened in the way that the the people who came more from the dev side of DevOps thought immutable infrastructure addressed through uh, through APIs and simple ways. And I think people like the old guard is having a hard time letting go of that and understanding it. They're just they're just pounding uh, the table saying that, yeah, you got to be careful. That stuff is not secure. You, you know, it's like all the arguments that we used to hear about VM is like, oh, it's not mature. You're crazy doing that. But hey, you know, some of the biggest applications in the world are running this way now. Right. So serverless. Yeah, maybe you could even say you call it backend as a service functions, whatever you want to call it. I think that is really the way people are going, because if you really were to design infrastructure as code, that's how you design it. If you didn't have any of the pre, if you didn't have any of the history or the inhibitions that you knew were how you were evolving from. So, yeah. And what will drive the change is going to be, Partly just generational, all these new companies, as we were saying, you know, two MacBooks and an AWS account, none of them will start out thinking in that way. So over time, you'll just get to turnover. But also, it'll be changes in licensing practice. So Microsoft is in the news. And so we'll put the link in the show notes, a Bloomberg article, uh, because... Microsoft is in kind of this unique position because they're a big enterprise software vendor that also operates infrastructure and has been around for long enough that they have a whole bunch of grandfathered in uh, contracts with people. And so, or grandparent these days. What's happened is that Microsoft has been trying to drive uh, their office customers to use Azure rather than any rival clouds by having what I think is fairly described as punitive licensing uh, conditions if you run it on any non-Azure cloud. And they're far from the first to do this. Oracle famously does the same thing. It costs twice as much to run Oracle in the cloud as it does if, to run it on-prem, unless you're one of those lucky few who choose to run an Oracle cloud. And uh, so they're getting a pushback from that. And that's not going to last, though. That's a strictly temporary phenomenon of people who are still running their own infrastructure if you just sign up for office 365 and don't worry about where it runs you just need a thousand seats of office 365 for your company bam done then uh, that that's not going to be a factor for you so it's a it's an interesting moment in time that we live in 
I think, you know, if I, if I look at it, I mean, the fact that G that Google and Amazon are crying about this is it's, it's bullshit. I mean, l l let's face it. I mean, you, you know, it's just easier with Microsoft and, you know, I go back to Apple, right? A Apple and Microsoft had this duel over like the PC and the OS, or, or maybe you could say sun. Let's take, let, let, let's take the early days of, of server operating system and Microsoft owned the desktop and that's how they got into the server world. I mean, I remember the old IBM mainframe and, and mini guys, and they were saying like, oh, windows will never come into the, the data center. And now guess what? Windows owns the data center, you know? And, and the fact that I think Google and Amazon thought they didn't need to own the desktop or have a collaboration app, I think that's what's that's what they're suffering from. And I mean, if if GCP wanted to be any better, they should focus on their workspace or whatever you call the whole Gmail and suite. But it's a terrible solution. It's a terrible solution. <laughs> so once you start to build an ecosystem, it's really hard to get out of the ecosystem. Not that it's hard, but the barrier for me and the user base to do more within the Microsoft ecosystem becomes so easy that why would I start to look at GCP? Why would I start to look at AWS if I'm already in that ecosystem? And everybody is a Microsoft 365, Office 365 user. So I agree. I mean, the GCP product is inferior, especially if you're looking at the Office apps. But even more so, it just seems like Google is not really fully committed to anything. Does it not seem like they back out all the time? They have a product, they have a solution. And then two years later, wow, we're going to go ahead and abandon that. I don't know that they're committed to the enterprise. And that's what we're talking about here, the enterprise. I, I think they might be committed to all sorts of other things, but are they committed to the enterprise? And, I, and Microsoft is. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing with Microsoft is like, when you have a large organization, you know, the, the thoughts that go through us in, in enterprise IT is always like, wow, do my users really know how to use these products? Are they continuing to evolve and use the new features? So, you know, internally, you're building training programs, you're making sure people are using them, you're looking at usage statistics, you're, you're making sure that people are using those. With Google, that gets like really hard because it's always changing. It's not fluid. It's like, where, where's like the roadmap is disjointed. It's like they really need some some structure and need to look at like what Microsoft has done and follow that lead. I mean, that's where they're 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 not there, unfortunately. So this whole like, you know, Microsoft has an unfair advantage. I think they built an advantage that, you know, just leads to more Microsoft and less of, of yourself. You know, if I go back to the first topic that we had, the 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 foundry kind of cloud computing study. My biggest shock on that one was how many people are actually multi-cloud. Because I think people or most companies all have their basket in, or their all their eggs in one basket and are trying to figure out how do I start taking advantage of the other basket? Because now I have lock-in here. And I think that's not so easy. So those percentages on companies that have multi-cloud, that was my biggest shock there. And stuff that didn't make sense to me when I look at the numbers. But again, you don't know the actual details, like who's really on a 50-50 or 33-33-33% split. I don't know. And, and that's kind of hard to grasp. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and going back to that multi-cloud report, I, I think there's a there's a lot in this report that I, I, is interesting. Now, I'll tell you, it's interesting from this perspective, too, because I would have thought actually that numbers would be a little higher, to be quite honest. I really would have. And I just wonder if there's still some some organizations that, 
and, and it's all about the definition. They never really call out, what do you mean by cloud, multi-cloud? I mean, some people might say, well, we're not really in the cloud, but they're leveraging Office 365, right? Maybe they, they're leveraging Salesforce or something like that. So there could be some of that. Um, but I actually thought the numbers would be higher, to be honest, in, in that. Um, but I, I also think, you know, we, as I said earlier, who are you surveying? So IDG or, you know, Foundry, right, which is IDG, are they surveying IT? Uh, you know, roles uh, that that maybe I hate to say it, like I said a minute ago, maybe do they know they're in the cloud? Do they not know they're in the cloud? In their mind, hey, I have a few servers, I still have them, I'm not in the cloud. I actually think these numbers, in all honesty, are even higher than what this report says. Yeah, I, but I still think we're in the early innings of cloud, right? I, I think there's still a lot of uh, on-prem servers that don't need to be on-prem. And I think as those refresh cycles and those, that life cycle uh, wave kicks in, I, I think more and more it'll start going to cloud. I mean, think of the semiconductor shortage. I mean, once people find out how long it's going to take them to get a server to get this, I mean, hell, a, a switch or whatever, I mean, it, they're going to be like, oh, or I can just move to the cloud and it's there. It's like, yeah, why don't we do that and save ourselves the, the headache of having to handle something physical, order it, wait for it. Like, I, I, it's it's just makes no sense, right? Well, you have a good point. I mean, servers, what are, what are servers like? Typically three to five years, right? Is that right? I mean, three years maybe? Yeah, I know. I think most people have moved to like four to five years, I, I think. And and people, and, and most companies probably bleed them out a little longer than that, I would say. So you think late 2019, we're not even at that refresh cycle. That's pre-pandemic. So, you know, that's even, you know, even more uh, interesting when you say that and you think of it from those through that lens. It's, yeah, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. So, I think we need to have more cloud discussions, more cloud topics, because one thing we, we haven't talked about, and we, we usually do, which is no code, low code. I mean, how does that look developing in the cloud as opposed to developing on-prem? Um, there's just there's just so much. And uh, yeah, so again, I, I, I think we're saying the same thing. These numbers could be much higher than what we're seeing. And um, yeah, I, I was actually, the other surprise in the report was the, um, the number three player they listed was um, Alibaba or AliCloud. That yeah, that is interesting. Um, but it just shows definitely that jointed, a global a global survey. Um, it just shows that the jointed disjointed nature of, of Google that they they haven't been able to pick up on GCP. I mean, and I think part of it is their reputation. I mean, companies just don't trust them with putting their data in Google. Unfortunately, it's it's still Google no matter what you you call it. So you're exactly right, especially Europe. They take privacy more. You know, they, they, they prioritize it more than we do in the U.S., and I agree. So I think Alibaba probably has a leg up there in Europe. Um, yeah, that, that's true. I would say in the U.S., that Alibaba would definitely be number four, um, no higher, that's for sure. But you're right, when you go outside the U.S. And then, you know, Google does it with everything. They do it with Gmail. I read something yesterday around uh, something about scanning Gmail for whatever. Apparently, they're, they're doing, they've, you know, we all know they do this, right? So you can't, not that you can't trust them there. They're, they're, they're prioritizing the data over your privacy and anything else. I mean, that's just what they're doing. That's what they're known for. That's what they're going to do. You know, do. and unfortunately, Facebook has such a bad reputation that they get grouped into that Silicon Valley um, company model. And because Facebook does all these nefarious things, everybody believes also that Google's doing nefarious things. And when stories like that come out, it just proves their point. So less and less people will move that way. Unfortunately, it's, it's a bit... If they wanted GCP to be successful, they should probably spin it out. But then 
how do you decouple all the AI initiatives they have with GCP and the fact that they run on it? I mean, it's it's really hard. But I think AWS will have the same the same issue. I mean, if the if they both decoupled from their their home company, I think they would be much more successful and, and maybe even be able to give Microsoft kind of a, a bit of a run. So let's see, let's see. What yeah, you... I. I... I think it's going to be interesting. Microsoft, by and far, you know, they uh, they're definitely the leader here. Yeah. By the way, have you um, just on on the other topic, this Atlassian outage? Have you followed any of the uh, Atlassian outage uh, items? I, I have, but not in not in great detail. I'm just uh, my jaw is stuck open on this one. This is uh, unreal. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. So basically, some of their products have been offline, um, and they gave an update not long ago that it would take two weeks. Now, apparently, most of their customers are still up, but there's about a, a 400 customers that are still impacted, and they're talking about uh, that it could last up to two more weeks, uh, and we're now one week in. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> pretty insane i mean so obviously they were doing some kind of maintenance or upgrade or, or something and yeah i mean they really messed it up i mean how do you do how, how does this how does this happen i mean we just we're talking about operations were we not were we not and this is a company that proclaims to be an ai ops company so is ai ops a problem now i mean what how does this happen how yeah, you know, I, I, I just think of like out of those 400 customers, I mean, some of them probably have some really key pieces of of business working on Atlassian, right? And to think that your app is going to be down two to three weeks. Now, they've said that it's, you know, they ran, I guess, a script to delete legacy data. Um, and instead of deleting the data, the script like deleted sites and connected product users and third-party apps. And now the restore is going to take so long. I mean, if you think about it also, the reason a lot of people move to the cloud is they feel a little more secure with the availability, with the DR business continuity aspects. And then to have this happen, I think you, your company takes a really big hit in terms of reputation and now they've come out and said like hey this is not a cyber attack this is not like um you know there's been no unauthorized access um but still i I don't think people are gonna are gonna be able to trust them for a little while for a little while after this right yeah and then i wonder if there's there's gonna i guarantee litigation is gonna follow and these companies are gonna they're gonna litigate you know atlassians uh they've Uh wouldn't you wouldn't you imagine that their T's, T's and C's are pretty strong that that won't happen? Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, if, if some of these companies, I guarantee, have been impacted tremendously from a financial perspective. I mean, I, I don't know. Did they name Did they name any of the organizations that are impacted? Has anyone come forward? No, I think there's probably if you search Twitter, some companies are being pretty vocal. Uh, I, I mean, I know a lot of companies are using Jira. I mean, but I haven't heard. I haven't heard anybody to be honestly uh, truly impacted, but yeah, then again, I don't know. And if it's legacy data that led to this, it's probably people who have been on Atlassian for quite a while, which is even scarier. Yeah. If you're competing against Atlassian and you're all over this, but on the flip side of that, if you're out there in the AI ops space, I mean, this is an example. Somebody could say, Oh, look, look at AI ops. This is an AI ops company. They can't even, 
you know, get out of their own way. This is a, it's a cluster, but you know, this really truly, if we think about how many organizations are leveraging cloud, how prevalent cloud is on our previous discussion on the survey, you know, what really kind of sucks here is this is just one, you know, uh, just one example out, out of that. I mean, I hate to say it's not bad. It is bad as long as it's taking. I think that's more operationally inside Atlassian. But to say that, oh, that cloud's, cloud's bad, here's an example. I mean, how many, compared to how many outages are on-prem in these organizations, this is, I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. tons of these compared to this one. So I don't think it's fair to say that. I'm, but if people are going to say that, right? And then I don't think it's fair to say, you know, to point to this and say, oh, you know, this is one of, you know. Yeah. The the grifters will come out and say, this is why stuff needs to move back from cloud to on-prem. But it's like, oh, and where are you going to put it? And how are you going to manage it? And how are you going to back it up? And how are you going to do You know, there's so many questions to, to ask on these. And yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense. So there's, there's tons of these, just uh, hundreds of these outages a month, right? Across, across the U.S. So yeah. I, I think the problem is how long it's lasting, right? To the fact that, so, you know, you know, deep down that somebody or something wasn't right on the back end if it's taking them three weeks. And that's where I think it's unacceptable because you could be down a day, you could be down two days, but then it's like, okay, we're coming back up on this time, at, at, you know, and then you're back up and it's the predictability, right? So people are probably, I mean, I, I think the calculus even of sourcing organizations is going to change in signing a lot of these um, cloud contracts. But let's face it, most companies most companies that are signing Atlassian deals, it's probably some dude swiping his credit card, accepting the, the generic T's and C's and moving on. And then it blows up to something quite substantial in an organization. And I mean... I hate to think of all the software dev R&D shops that are using um, Jira and other tools that are now like, yeah, handicapped because they they can't do certain things. So it, it's it's bad. I think the lesson here is on the back end, right? Your operations, when you, how do you upgrade these? You know, how do you go through upgrades, procedures? And we talked about earlier talent. I mean, uh, you know, you, you have to have people that know what they're doing. I'm not saying they don't know what they're doing there, but this makes you wonder, you know, was the process in place? Was this vetted? This is a SaaS. This was a SaaS solution of all things. You, everybody talks about SaaS, right? This should never have happened. I mean, if you take everything I, down, you take the components yeah. down, it, it makes no sense. I think a lot of Atlassian customers, to be honest, are still on-prem, but they're being pushed more and more as, as upgrades come along to move to the SaaS offering. Um, so the ones who haven't are probably really grateful uh, right now. But yeah, it's coming. It's coming more and more. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. You you wanted to talk about this um, this registered article about ransomware and and backups. Well, I put it in there. We don't necessarily need to, need to talk about it. I, I think this is a, an interesting um, startup. Maybe we can uh, bring the CTO on uh, in the future to talk through this. I just think it's an example of you know ransomware and and you know how far wide its reaches and backups which you know really we talk about disruption i don't know that backups yeah i mean there's some some cutting edge companies out there but if we really made a lot of progress in backups and you know what are we backing up is it good data is it not good data is it secure data is it you know been compromised uh, but uh, again in terms of cloud i mean these if you're asking the traditional um you know distributed server people backup questions when you're dealing with cloud, you're having the wrong conversation. So th this is where I think, again, the skill set of enterprise IT uh, resources is, is 
sorely out of touch with what's happening in the cloud world. So I, I think that will continue to be a tough one. So, yeah. Yeah, we will touch on this more in, in a future episode for sure. Any recommendations this week, Zach? Because I got a good one. Wow. No, but I, let's hear yours. <laughs> so I don't know if you're a subscriber of, of Apple TV, but I mean... Apple TV Plus, I mean, the shows, right? Ted Lasso, you've heard of. And, um, you know, I watched Haran, which was great. Well, I started watching We Crashed, the the WeWork uh, story. Uh, Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. I mean, this thing is, like, amazing. I mean, if you want to see crazy and talk crazy, I mean, I look at that and I'm like, I can never go work for a startup. <laughs> and I know you've been at a at a few, but I look at it and I'm like, no, this is like crazy world to me. But yeah, totally worth it. Um, um, just uh, it, it just incredibly put together. Like you watch one episode and you like want to watch the next one immediately. Uh, not over yet. Uh, you know, I think Apple does it quite nicely where like a new episode comes out every Friday. Uh, I, I also think Netflix is going to start doing that at some point, but yeah, it just uh, keeps you just glued to the glued to the TV. So yeah, new episode this Friday. So check it out. We crashed on, on Apple TV plus. I, I just pulled it up um, on my browser. I'm going to check it out. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, but what, it, yeah. through what lens they, do they take a look at this? I'm just curious. I mean, you say startup, is it through like, I, they, they, the funding there's all that story covered is it just basically uh, the story oh how they acted yeah it, money, it, the funding yeah it, pro- it it pretty much um follows the founder um adam newman and his wife so that's kind of how they look at it but you see like yeah i, I think they're they're at the point now where um where the investors, at least Benchmark and Massasun, are starting to pull. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! There's Scott Galloway. There's somebody playing Scott Galloway <laughs> yeah. in this. This is great. I'll watch this. <laughs> yeah, I think first episode he pops up because I guess he's had a he's had a history of interviewing Adam too. So yeah, it's it's interesting. You got to watch. You got to watch. I'm gonna it. watch it. I'm on it. I'm assuming he's gonna he's gonna come back because he he kind of is the one who who challenged them on uh, on their S one and uh, I, I assume it, it it makes a comeback but just some some crazy crazy stuff yeah so well, and in the future we need to talk about startups we need to have a, a, a podcast episode on startups uh, it's it's an interesting dynamic the startups going to startups and working at startups has changed a lot even in the last year or two I I view them much differently than I did of two three four five six years ago. We can talk about that. It's, it's interesting. I think the problem is that there's been too many, but yeah, we'll save it for another episode. Yeah. All right. This is great. Dominic, pass it to you. Uh, so my recommendation this week, as it has been for the last few weeks and as it will be for a little while yet, is that you should totally go to MongoDB World, 7th to the 9th of June in New York City, although there is also a virtual option if you can't make it to New York yourself. But if you are going to go in person, there's a discount code in the show notes It's good for 25% off, so I highly recommend that. But with that, you should follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with number four or on our LinkedIn page. Theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta. And please do send us suggestions for topics and guests for future episodes. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.